The second Bible reading comes from Matthew chapter 12, verses 1 to 21, and is found on page 1019 on the Pew Bibles. At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry and began to pick some heads of grain and eat them. When the Pharisees saw this, they said to him, Look, your disciples are doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath. He said, Haven't you read what David did when he and his companions were hungry? He entered the house of God, he and he and his companions ate the consecrated bread, which was not lawful for them to do, but only for the priests. For haven't you read in the law that on the Sabbath the priests in the temple just to desecrate the day and yet are innocent? I tell you that one greater than the temple is here. If you had known what these words mean, I desire mercy, not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the innocent. For the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Going on from that place, he went into their synagogue, and a man with a shriveled hand was there. Looking for a reason to accuse Jesus, they asked him, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? He said to them, If any of you has a sheep and it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will you not take hold of it and lift it out? How much more valuable is a man than a sheep? Therefore, it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Then he said to the man, Stretch out your hand. So he stretched it out, and it was completely restored, just as sound as the other. But the Pharisees went out and plotted how they might kill Jesus. Aware of this, Jesus withdrew from that place. Many sick followed him, and he healed all their sick, warning them to not tell who he was. This was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. Here is my servant whom I have chosen, the one I love, in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him, and he will proclaim justice to the nations. He will not quarrel or cry out. No one will hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out, till he leads justice to victory. In his name the nations will put their hope. Thank you, Joy, for reading that. Well, welcome, everyone. Um, good to see you all here this evening. My name's John. I'm one of the ministers at this church. Uh, a warm welcome to you if you are visiting us here this evening. Love to catch up with you afterwards. Um, why don't you take a moment, turn around, welcome each other, but also grab an outline. We do have an outline for the sermon so that, that you might find that helpful. So do that, and I'll call you back shortly. Okay, friends, um, if you... If I can get your attention, we've, we've been working through uh, the book of Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew. It's been actually several years. We started about two years ago. And so this series, we're just looking at chapter 11 to 13, so we're three, uh, three talks in. Uh, but let us pray again and ask God for his help to understand this passage today. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word to us that teaches us of who you are and why Jesus came. Help us to understand who he really is and what it means to follow him. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, many of you would know, if you don't know, um, I used to live in Sydney. Don't hold that against me. I'm not a Sydney sider. I'm from Melbourne originally. But when I was living in Sydney, we lived in a place called Parramatta. We lived there for three years. And from Parramatta, to get to the city or to get to Bible College, we were up in Sydney for Bible College, we had to pass or go on the M4 motorway. Now, the M4 motorway is just a freeway, but driving past the, on the M4 motorway, there, there are these huge, massive billboards. 
Now, when we were there, there were these billboards, they, were, they, they stood out, um, you need a holiday or drive safely or you'll die. But in more recent years, there have been more controversial um, billboards placed up, more religiously uh, toned. In um, May of 2011, an Islamic group called My Peace, they put up on this billboard a sign and it read this, Jesus, a prophet of Islam. So what do you make of that? Well, the Christians responded the next month in June of 2011. A Christian group, Aussies Christian, Aussie Christians, they put up their response and they said this. Can you read that? Dear Aussie Muslims, glad you want to talk about Jesus, love to chant more. Well, for several years there, there weren't too many religious billboards placed up. But just this month, a Sydney atheist group, the Sydney atheist group, they put up their sign and it read this. Have you escaped religion? We have. And that was placed up there by the atheist group, the Sydney atheist group. And so what do you make of this? What are we to make of this? Well, the organisation's president, Stephen Martin, he said this. This world has suffered so much at the hands of religion. It doesn't make any sense to believe these stories. It's just fantasy. Every religion has an agenda. And the, the agenda is that to control people. So what do you think? What do you make of that? Religion is there to, to control people. It's, it's unbelievable what religion is on about. Well, in one sense, we can't speak for all religions, can we? But we can't speak for what we believe. And so let me ask you, how are Christians to respond to that? We've escaped religion. Have you? How are we to respond as Christians? I mean, is that true? Should we escape even Christianity. What do you think? Well, you see, there is religion and there is religion. There is Christianity and there is Christianity. Now, the Christianity in the eyes of many in our world and, and certainly in the eyes of the atheist group is that it's about indoctrination, which we heard when Rachel spoke. Now, you're, you are trapped, you Christians, you're trapped into thinking and living according to strict rules and regulations. There's no movement at all in your religion. It's so strict and uptight, everyone's so nitpicky, there's no liberty, there's no freedom, and so there's no life at all. I mean, that's, that's your religion, is it? I mean, that's what many people think of Christianity. So rules and regulations. But is that what Christianity is about? Is it really what it's on about? I mean, if that is Christianity, all about rules and regulations and living by this way or that way, then I want to escape that as well. And I'm sure many of you will want to escape that as well. But of course, we know, right? We know that that is just a massive distortion of the Christian faith. That's not what Christianity is about, is it? It's a massive distortion. You see, this type of distortion, distorting the faith of the Christian faith, is actually not a new thing. And it's actually what we see in our passage today. And so let's turn to our passage, Matthew chapter 12. We'll work our way through this, through this story. Now, in our passage, we meet the Pharisees. The Pharisees, a dirty word, but the Pharisees, they were the teachers of the people of God. They were the ones who were meant to uphold true religion. They were the ones who were meant to teach true religion and what that is like. But what they've done is that they've reduced their faith to, to a matter of just law-keeping, rules-keeping, 
And they did that without thinking about the purpose of their laws. But they did that. They had all these massive laws, stacks of them, thinking that that is what pleases God if they live by those laws. But in fact, what they've done is they've actually messed up their religion. They've messed up the laws, the purposes of the law. They've distorted their religion. Now, in our passage, what we'll be looking at today, the law in focus is the keeping of the Sabbath day. Now, according to the Ten Commandments, on the seventh day, the Sabbath day, you're meant to keep that holy. And that is to remember God who created the universe in six days and he rested on the seventh. And so the people of God are to do the same. They are to work for six six days and on the seventh they are to rest. They are meant to keep it separate, devote that to God. They are to stop their usual work. That is the Mosaic law. But now look at this story. Look at what happens here. Verse 1, have a look. At that time Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry and began to pick some heads of grain and eat them. When the Pharisees saw this, they said to him, Look, your disciples are doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath. Now, why would they say that? Why would the Pharisees think that eating grain as they walked through the grain fields was unlawful? We see the Pharisees, they were so intent on keeping the Sabbath law that what they've done was they devised other laws to keep them away from that original law. This is what is called hedging the law. So what they've done was they've, they've hedged laws around the original law to keep them as far away as breaking, uh, far away from breaking the original law. And so the Pharisees, the rabbis, on the Sabbath day, they had 39 other laws that surrounded the law of not working. And they did that to keep them as far away from breaking that law. But what that meant was, these other laws was you, you can't reap, you can't sow, you can't knead, you can't bake, you can't slaughter, you can't travel for far distances. And so they were trying to keep themselves safe from breaking the law of the Sabbath. And so here, uh, they see the disciples, they see the disciples, they're walking uh, on their Sabbath stroll, they're, they're running their hands through the grain field, they're eating the grain, they're thinking, these guys, they're reaping, they're harvesting, that is breaking the law. Quite strange, isn't it? Even modern day Orthodox Jews work quite in a similar way. Orthodox Jews even today, on the Sabbath, um, this is what I've come to learn, uh, many Jews, they will have their lights automated. So it will come on at 7am and turn off at 10pm. It was all automated, it's all automated, And that's to keep them from flicking the switch because that would be considered work. And so the Pharisees, they were so uptight in keeping the Sabbath law that they produced 39 other laws to protect them from from breaking that law. And so here they think, the disciples, you're harvesting. Jesus, your disciples, they're breaking the law. You're a lawbreaker if your disciples are a lawbreaker. Now it makes you wonder what the Pharisees were doing out there in the grain fields in the first place. But how did Jesus respond? Well, Jesus could have excused his disciples. He could have said to them, well, you guys, you, you don't know what you're talking about. They're not actually working. You, you see, they're not farmers. They're, they're ex-fishermen. They're ex-tax collectors. They're not farmers. They're not out on Saturday trying to do some overtime to earn some extra income. They're not working. And so Jesus could have said that and said, you guys just get lost. You guys don't know what you're talking about. But what did Jesus do? When instead Jesus actually shows them that they have a bigger problem. And their bigger problem was how they approached the entire law of the Old Testament. 
And so what Jesus does now, he, he draws on two Old Testament examples. The first one is the example of David, the anointed king. So have a look, verses, verse 3 and 4. Have you, haven't you read what David did when he and his companions were hungry? He entered the house of God and he and his companions ate the consecrated bread which was not lawful for them to do, but only for the priests. And so this story comes from 1 Samuel 21. And the story goes, David, he was fleeing from Saul who wanted him dead. David fled with his troops. They ended up in Nod. They went to the tabernacle. They were tired. They were famished. They were hungry. And so David asked the priest for some food. Now the priest said to David, well, we've got nothing apart from the consecrated bread. Now this bread was bread that was offered to God. Every Sabbath, they would go into the tabernacle or, or the temple later on. They would bring in freshly break, baked bread for God and they would take the old one away. And the old one, that was reserved for the priests to eat. That was only for the priests to eat. But then in the story, it was offered to David and his companions. Now, according to Old Testament law, that was illegal. That was unlawful. David was not allowed to eat that simply because he was not a priest. But you see what Jesus was trying to get them to reflect on. Jesus was trying to get them to see that though David appeared to have done something unlawful, David's not condemned for that anywhere in scripture. So what do you think Jesus is trying to make here? What point is Jesus trying to make? You see, what Jesus is trying to get them to see is that he wants them to see that their entire approach, their Old Testament law, is faulty. If religion was simply a matter of keeping laws, then David was a lawbreaker. He should have been condemned, but he wasn't. And so Jesus was trying to do something bigger. The whole approach of the Pharisees towards the Old Testament was all wrong. It was all faulty. They've distorted it all. They did not get it. And so Jesus was trying to get them to see that true religion, Christianity, is not a matter that can be reduced to merely a set of rules. There is more to that. And that's what Jesus gets them to see again in the second example. Have a look, verse 5. Or haven't you read in the law that on the Sabbath the priests in the temple desecrate the day and yet are innocent? Now what's that example about? Well, if religion, if true religion is a matter of only keeping laws, then what do you say about the priests working on the Sabbath? The priests, they work in the temple. On the Sabbath, they have to offer the morning sacrifice, the evening sacrifice. In fact, the priests, they work twice as hard on the Sabbath. So what is that about? Priests work twice as hard, ministers work twice as hard on a Sunday, right? But anyway, Jesus was trying to get them to see that though the priests worked on the Sabbath, they're not condemned for it. Why is that? They're not condemned for it. Well, Jesus is trying to make the same point. True religion is not a matter that can be reduced down to merely a set of rules and regulations. There's more to that. You see, they kept all these rules thinking that that would make them acceptable to God. But Jesus is saying, you got it all wrong. You're approaching the Old Testament in the wrong way. You're approaching the laws in the wrong way and you've distorted the religion. And so what Jesus does next? Well, Jesus now refocuses their attention from law-keeping to who he is. He is the answer to true religion. True religion, Christianity, you see, is not a matter of law-keeping, 
but it's a matter of his person. Who moves their attention from keeping the Old Testament laws to who he is. And so Jesus does something now. He says something now that would have been a major shock to their system. Jesus, in a sense, drops a bombshell. Verse 6. I tell you that one greater than the temple is here. Jesus is claiming before the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, I take precedence over the centre of your very religion, the place where you go to meet with God, the place where you go to offer sacrifices. One greater than the temple is here before you. I take precedence over the centre of your religious belief. And so Jesus becomes the very focal point of their religion. It's not the rules, not the regulations. That's not what religion is about. It is about me, one greater than King David, one greater than the temple. And now Jesus goes on to show how they got it all so wrong. Their approach to the laws, to the Old Testament, to religion was all wrong. You see, they were so intent on keeping the laws, thinking that that is what makes them approachable to God. That that is what makes God happy by keeping all those rules and regulations. But what they've in fact done was they've smothered out the purpose of the law. They've smothered out what, what God wanted. And so they've messed up their religion. And so look at what Jesus says now, verse 7. If you had known what these words mean, I desire mercy, not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the innocent. Now that's a reference to the prophet Hosea. Now what was happening at the time of Hosea was that the people of Israel, just like the Pharisees, they thought if I keep all the laws, I offer all my sacrifices, I do all that is right according to the commandments, the laws of Moses and the tradition of the elders, as strict as they are, if I do it all, that is what makes God happy. But you see, in Hosea, the problem was their hearts were far away. Their hearts was empty of love and grace and mercy and compassion. What God wants from them is not just empty religious duties. What God wants from them is a heart that turns to him, a heart that depends on him, a heart that loves him, a heart that seeks mercy, not pomp and ceremony. And that was the Pharisees' problem. They thought if they did all the exterior stuff, that would be okay, but their heart was not there. And so here, even though one greater than the temple was standing right there in front of them, the one who claims to have precedence over the centre of their religion, religion, in their arrogance and in their pride, all they could do was condemn the one who gave them the law in the first place. You're a lawbreaker. And now Jesus, he drops another bombshell. Look at verse 8. For the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Now what does that mean? Well, just as Jesus was greater than the temple, Jesus is also greater than the Sabbath. Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath. Jesus is the Master of the Sabbath. And what does that mean? Well, to be the Lord of a suburb, if I'm the Lord of Surrey Hills, then the subjects of Surrey Hills serve me. And so for Jesus to say, I'm the Lord of the Sabbath, but the Sabbath serves him. The Sabbath's purpose is for him. The Sabbath points to Jesus. That is the purpose of the Sabbath. You see, in the giving of the law in the Old Testament, when God rested, when the law was given to Moses and the people, when they rested each week, it was meant to help them and get them to anticipate a greater rest, a better rest. And they sort of achieved that in the Promised Land. They, they received 
the, the rest that God promised in the promised land. But yet that rest was also anticipating something greater and something better. It was looking forward to the eternal rest that is to be found in God himself. And so Jesus now comes along and he says, I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. Jesus is declaring to them, if you want to find rest, eternal rest, genuine rest, deep rest, you find that in me. And so it's no accident that what we heard last week at the end of Matthew chapter 11, remember what Jesus called, what Jesus offered, what Jesus said in his invitation. Remember at the end of chapter 11, the king's call was so wonderfully good we heard last week. Jesus said, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I'll give you rest. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. And today we clearly see that. We see the stark contrast between the rest that Jesus offers and the burden that the Pharisees place on the people. You see, 39 other laws to worry about now, not just not working on the Sabbath, there are 39 other laws to worry about. And so not only did the Pharisees not offer any rest at all, there's no forgiveness of sins, there's no renewal of the heart, there's no assurance of salvation, there's no rest for the soul at all. But yet Jesus comes along. He proclaims, I am the Lord of the Sabbath. Come to me. Come to me. And there's no more striving, no more guilt, no more shame, no more burden. You can put aside your self-confidence. You can put aside your self-dependence and you can depend utterly and completely on me. You'll find rest with me. You'll find forgiveness of sins with me. You'll have your heart renewed. You'll find assurance of salvation with me and you'll find rest for your soul with me. That is the offer of Jesus. There is rest with him, whereas religion, the religion of the Pharisees, just burdens you, wearies you and puts you down. And so Jesus, what he does here is he refocuses religion, not about rules and law keeping. It is about him. He's the centre, he's the focus. And so how do you think the Pharisees responded? Did they learn their lesson? Did they see clearly? Did they respond rightly? Well, look at verse 9. Going on from that place, he went into their synagogue and a man with a shriveled hand was there. Looking for a reason to accuse Jesus, they asked him, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? Now, isn't that a bit sad for the Pharisee to ask that? Isn't that a bit tragic for them to ask that. I mean, they only just heard Jesus declare, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. But what were they interested in? What did the Pharisees focus on? Well, they focused on whether it was still okay to heal someone on the Sabbath. You see, in their minds, healing was considered work. You can't work on the Sabbath unless it's life-threatening. Wait for another day. In the Gospel of Luke, in fact, a synagogue ruler said, There are six days for work, and so come and be healed on those days, not the Sabbath. They just didn't get it, right? They just didn't get it. How dark were their hearts? They can't even see how far they are from the heart of God. God said, Jesus said, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. And now Jesus goes on to show how messed up they really are. Look at verse 11 and 12. If any of you has a sheep and it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, 
Will you not take hold of it and lift it out? It's quite a simple logic, isn't it? Of course you will. If your sheep falls in a hole, you're going to pick it up, even though it's a Sabbath. And then Jesus goes, how much more valuable is a man than a sheep? And so quite embarrassingly, they can't even see their double standard. And so Jesus now says quite bluntly, it would have been embarrassing for them to hear. He says to the teachers of the people of God, it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Now just imagine that. How far removed you must be to be a religious teacher and not know that, to do good on the Sabbath. It's a bit like telling a maths teacher how silly, how foolish of you to not know that one plus one equals two. It was as simple as that, but they did not get it. You see, it's always right to do good on the Sabbath. It's always right to do good all the time. It's always proper. It's always encouraged. It's always appropriate. And then verse 13, Jesus said to the man, stretch out your hand. So he stretched it out and it was completely restored, just as sound as the other. But here's the kicker. Look at what they did. The Pharisees, they went out and plotted how they might kill Jesus. Now, we've already seen rising opposition since the beginning of chapter 11. It was initially the doubt of John. Then a generation that was completely unresponsive to Jesus But now, how ironic is this? Rather than do good on the Sabbath, they did evil. They were so blinded by their self-righteous law-keeping that they could not even see that they were planning to break the sixth commandment and kill an innocent man. You can't get a starker contrast between false, distorted religion and Jesus. And now we read on verse 15. Aware of this, Jesus withdrew from that place. Many followed him and he healed all their sick, warning them not to tell who he was. Now it's worth asking, why did Jesus withdraw from the Pharisees? He was engaging with them, he showed them up, he showed them where they were wrong. Why did Jesus withdraw, knowing that they wanted to kill him? I mean, if Jesus is the one who sits on the throne of the universe, right there and then, Jesus could have zapped them and killed them right there on the spot. Jesus had the power to do that. But he didn't. Why didn't he? Why didn't he send legions of angels to just tear them apart, rip them, kill them right there in the synagogue? Well, he didn't, right? He didn't. And we're actually given a reason why he didn't. It's from verse 17 onwards. This was to fulfil what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. You see, despite the aggressiveness of the Pharisees, the way of the king, the way of Jesus, is in gentleness, with meekness, with humbleness. He is to fulfil the role of that servant king. And so what Matthew does here is he quotes from Isaiah 42, our first reading. And we we read it, verse 18. Here is my servant, whom I have chosen, the one I love, in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him and he will proclaim justice to the nations. Now, if you've read the gospel before, that should trigger in your mind that that's talking about the baptism of Jesus. At Jesus' baptism, God said from heaven, this is my son whom I love and the spirit came upon him like a dove. Jesus is this king, this servant king. But what is he like? Why didn't he just strike down the Pharisees on the spot? Well, we're told in these verses, He will not quarrel or cry out. 
No one will hear his voice in the streets. That's the gentleness of Jesus. A bruised reed, he will not break. I mean, when you walk through the streets, when I walk through the streets, if, if there's a branch, a leaf that's dangling and looks dead, I'll just chop it off. Jesus, a bruised reed, he will not break. He'll mend it, he'll restore it. Or a smouldering wick, he will not snuff out. He's not going to you know, uh, dampen his fingers and just snuff it out. No, Jesus would fan it back into flames. That's the gentleness of Jesus. That's the let us see that the meekness of Jesus, his care for the broken, his care for the weak, his care for the needy. And then we read, until he leads justice to victory. In his name, the nations will put their trust. And so Jesus comes along, more than being greater than the temple, more than being the Lord of the Sabbath, Jesus, he shows them he is also the servant king, the long-awaited king who will bring justice and peace. He is the servant king who we will see one day will lay down his life for his people. And so what's true religion, genuine religion? Far from just observing laws, being so strict and nitpicky, looking at the set of rules, it is about a person. It is about Jesus, following him, trusting in him and trusting, knowing that he offers rest for our souls. And so what's our lesson today? That is a passage, we've worked through that. Well, it's very easy to look at this passage and to think, don't be like a Pharisee. Let's not be like them. Let's be very different to them. And I mean, that's, that's very easy to think that way. We're not like the Pharisees. You see, it's not so simple. Atheists will look at Christians. They put up these, these signs because they really do believe there's something wrong with you Christians. That something is not right with you Christians. And sometimes it's hard to blame them. You see, often the worst enemies of Christians are Christians themselves. Christians who reduce Christianity into strict, uncompromising system of rules and regulations. You can't do this, you can't do that, if you, don't, you can't dance, you can't sing, you can't drink, you can't do anything. If that is what Christianity is about, I'm not talking about whether it's right or wrong, if that is what Christianity is about, just a list of rules, a list of do's and don'ts, then we've got it wrong. Or Christians who shift the focus from the centre of Christianity from Jesus Christ himself. And they focus on the periphery, the laws, the covenants, the, the, the do's and don'ts, and make that the centre. Well, we've done ourselves a disservice. Or when Christians who are more concerned about the peer appearance of looking Christian than being Christian. And so what do people see? I wonder whether we've distorted the Christian faith in our own way. I mean, when an atheist or when anyone, when the world looks at us, when the world looks at St. Stephen's, what do they see? What will they see? Will they see a people who are so caught up in the rules and regulations and the traditions of the church? Let them not. Let them see not a people who think we got it all right. Let them not see that, that I'm right with God because of my abilities because of what I've done for God, because of how, how much good I've done, because of my moral living. Because after a while, that type of life, where it depends on us, it's tiring, it's burdensome, it's wearisome. But let the world see that we are just weak, frail people. Let the world see that we are 
burdened people. Let the world see that we have not got it right. But let them see that we are people who have come to Christ, the Lord of the Sabbath, the servant king who gives us rest and rest for our souls. That is what we want the world to see. Not religion, religious and law-keeping, but a people who love Christ, a people who have come to Christ and have found rest. Let me pray.